The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified. So do you remember the Walter Mosley book called Devil in a Blue Dress, The Mystery? This was Mosley's very first effort into the world of mystery writing. Ezekiel Easy Rollins, a fictional private investigator, was the, uh, the main person in all 13 of Easy's, uh, Easy Rollins' mysteries. So Easy became Steve Morrow's inspiration to be a private investigator. Today, he is one. He was just a kid, 11 years old, when he read the book. It's amazing what inspires, you know, what starts our inspiration. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Thank you. And thank you for allowing me to have an opportunity to speak with everybody today. Absolutely. Well, so, um, you know, Easy, like many of us, started a second career after getting out of the military. Um, did you have any background like that? What was your background before you started, Steve? All right. So, um, basically, I <laughs> I pretty much went to uh, college for criminal justice. And because of the fact that I had read a lot of novels and had read about how Lipset and a bunch of <laughs> right. other uh, PIs like, that had done all of these great things, and I was so intrigued by the work, I had went ahead and... Um, went to Nick Harris Detective Academy, which is a school out here in uh, Van Nuys area. Mm-hmm. Attended, uh, attended their program, uh, got my feet wet with, they, they allowed for us to go out in the field and, and work a few cases uh, under the tutelage of, uh, you know, of, of the instructor at the time, uh, the gentleman that was named Del Gustafson, an uh, excellent instructor. Right. Um, he, by doing that, I, I was hooked. Um, you know, the, the minute that we went out and, and tried to serve papers on the guy that was very evasive, uh, I was just, I was definitely hooked on <laughs> this line of work um, and, and, and the challenges that it, it offered. You like the chase, huh? I love the chase. <laughs> <Okay>. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I can relate. I read Nancy Drew, so... <laughs> <laughs> I, I devoured all the Nancy Drew mysteries, so I, I get that. Uh, okay, so um, so you started out about uh, 13 years ago, is that right? Yes, ma'am. 13 years ago. Okay, and um, so some of the things we're going to be talking about today is how you 
uh, channeled Easy Rollins and how you maneuvered through being a new private investigator and where you are now. Okay. So. Well, well go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, um, well, Easy Rollins for me, uh, I, I had actually, my mother and my grandparents had inspired me to, to read as much as we possibly could, my sister and I. And um, eventually I delved into reading mystery novels. So it started off with, of course, I think what everybody probably started reading, Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. Um, then I, I went into Dashiell Hammett's, you know, spade books and, 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 and you know, the, the unknown PI of the Continental Op. Um, but eventually I landed in, in Mr. Walter Mosley's category, uh, with Easy Rollins, and the reason why Mr. Rollins was so appealing to me was number one, uh, being a young African American male, I had read about all of these folks that did not—they didn't live in the areas that I lived in, and they mm-hmm. didn't really resemble what I looked like personally. Right. Uh, so for me to be able to read about somebody that, even though albeit it was a different time, you know, frame than than where I'm living, uh, but without doing the thing that I envisioned myself being able to do hopefully one day, you know, obviously it turned out to be different. We, we don't usually go shooting after people too often. Um, but it, 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 it definitely opened up a, a door of, of, of reality possibilities for me. That is um, so cool. That is really so cool. I wonder if Walter Mosley has any idea that he inspires young African-American men to be private investigators. Well, I know he knows that he inspired me because I had, uh, he had killed, almost killed Easy Rollins off uh, a few years ago. <laughs> uh, and a lot of us were, were devastated. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I hate to say it like this, but I'm an Easy Rollins geek. Um, but uh, and so when Mr. Mosley had, Right easy back alive a couple of years ago, um, I went to a book signing and I was fortunate enough to be able to give him my business card and tell him that because of this character that he created, uh, he inspired a, a young, a little boy to do something when he became a young man that uh, has allowed me the opportunity to help a lot of people. And what and, was his uh, reaction? What did he say? He, he was very, very surprised because he said he, that it was the first time he had ever heard that he was responsible for uh, giving anybody any t- sort of employment. <laughs> so uh, it, it was it was very awesome. Um, I think, he, uh, and hopefully, he knows that uh, he's touched a whole lot of people. And hopefully, mm-hmm. I'm not the only person that he's changed their course or at least uh, made available uh, a way for them to to do something that they hope can, you know, bring about change and, and, and bring about help to other people. Absolutely. So, so were, you, um, were you focused from that point in time to becoming a private investigator? How did that evolve? Well, so once I read about uh, Ezekiel Rollins, um, I truly became what I, I like to call the student of the game. Um, I started reading about real-life PIs uh, and uh-huh. and. So that went for uh, a bug in the martini olive, uh, which is a book mm-hmm. about Hal Lipset, who's right. You know, uh, uh, you know, the dean of called the dean of private investigators exactly. up there in the Bay Area. I read his book, 
several times, um, and, and I was inspired by it. Uh, that also led me to other books written by real-life PIs um, who, you know, they, they, they kind of bore, poured out their secrets on how to do certain things. I, I, I became the kid in high school, almost like a Veronica Mars, uh, that mm. people would, would have, hey, can you find so-and-so for me? Or, you know, really? uh, you know, yeah, it was, it was just, it, it allowed, it, it definitely created a pathway for me and allowed for me to, to, to do things and see things a different way. And I was, it, it excited me like nothing else. You, when you found Nick Harris Detective School, you must have thought you'd gone to heaven. <laughs> I, oh, I, I was 16, and um, actually, Del Gustafson, who was the instructor, came to see me high where I was went to high school, and uh, he had given like a career day, and uh-huh. he had shown us some video of of you know some workers' comp cases that he had worked on, and of course, I was almost drooling at the mouth because I had only <laughs> read about this stuff, but so hadn't seen anything. Uh, like it, and he had invited me to actually go out to the school. And at the time, the school was being ran by a gentleman named Milo Spriglio. Right. Um, Mr. Spriglio had given me a tour of the school, and I was looking at all the gadgets and, you know, all the, the strange folks coming in and out of there and hearing all the stories that, uh, you know, that they were, they, they were all involved in, and it, it was just great. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I was I, I kind of became... Uh, addicted to, to, to this game because I, I love every aspect of it. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was wonderful um, to, be, to go from the school over to see me high to, to Nick Harris and to see all of these things and, and meet all of these people. For sure. Uh, very interesting. Well, those of us who have been in the business a while, of course, know, um, probably a lot of us knew Hal Lipset before he passed away. Um, I don't think I... I'm not sure I ever met Milo Spriglio, but I certainly know his name, and I know a lot of people in, in California and probably around the world know his name. Um, now the school's run by Corey Friedman, and yes, uh, D- Dale is still there as well. Well, actually, um, Corey runs it. Dale started the school here in Simi, um, uh-huh. but, I, but I mean, they're both awesome instructors, uh, Awesome schools. Nick Harris uh, opened up a lot of opportunities for me personally, um, and I definitely would encourage anybody that is interested in, in learning this, especially that lives in the area, uh, you know, to, to to pursue these avenues of of, of learning it. It, mm-hmm. I, it was invaluable to me. I, you know, I totally agree because that, you know, I mean, you can learn on the job, which is how most of us learned um, was on job training, but it really ramps up your your education if you go to the school first. Um, I found that to be true over and over. So, but you still have to have somebody supervise you until you get a license. How did you work that out? Okay, so I after I um, went to the Karis, I was lucky enough to get apprenticed under some very experienced PIs in the area. Now, some of them were good, some of them weren't. I'm not going to put <laughs> names out there like that. Right. But um, I, I did learn from a gentleman <clears throat> who was out in the Valley, who, who I, I think is one of the best surveillance guys out there. Uh, he, he taught me how to go to like, a, like an apartment type of situation where maybe the names aren't posted or anything, and still without 
knocking on their door to figure out a way to find out if that person is living there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this was back in the day when there was no TomToms, no GPS. He literally would point at a place on the Thomas Guide and tell me to meet him there in like 40 minutes. And at the time, I was like 20 years old. What? Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about <laughs> how to read a map, really. Uh, so it was in, in cutting through the streets of L.A. and going to Be- Beverly Hills and all of these different places. Um, you know, it, it, that was a good experience. And then I, I worked under another gentleman who was a former sheriff's deputy uh, who did nothing but criminal defense investigations and learned from him how to do different type of work on that, you know. Mm-hmm. So my my experience, because of the fact that I wasn't quite sure exactly at that point in time what type of investigative work I wanted to pursue, I pursued everything that uh, was afforded an opportunity for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked for the bigger companies that did nothing but insurance work, uh, traveled all over the country, uh, doing nothing but surveillance and AOE, COE work. Um yeah. You want to say what you know, AOE, it, Steve, you want to tell people what AOE, COE is? All right, so AOE, COE is arising out of employment and course of employment. It's basically uh, if you're, you're going and you're, you're taking statements from folks that uh, have claimed to be injured on the job, you're, you're mm-hmm. going over and speaking to fellow employees and employers, um, you know, to, to make a determination on whether... This, the facts that the claimant, and that's the person that's making the claim for insurance mm-hmm. benefits, is in fact uh, as injured or injured the way that they said that they were. You're, mm-hmm. you're trying to determine if the company is responsible or if the equipment was faulty, uh, you know, that's subrogation. You know, you're, you're, just, you're really trying to just get the best picture as to mm-hmm. what really happened uh, factually and, and be able to supply to bring that over to the insurance company so that way they can make a, a great decision based off of what your, your efforts have, have produced for them. Yeah, and there's, there's such great st- skills required for that. That is not something I don't think I could do, but, <laughs> but I, <laughs> oh, I, I admire. I you could do it. <laughs> yeah, I admire the people that do it because it requires a lot of skill, a lot of patience, a lot of tenacity. Uh, so it's fabulous training for sure. It is a great way to get your feet wet uh, in this type of work because obviously communication skills is big uh, in order to, to, to be able to do this uh, type of work, especially if you're going to take interviews. So working for some of the bigger insurance companies, um, I know that some guys get beat down after a while by doing it, uh, but mm-hmm. it is for a, a, a newbie. Uh, it is definitely a great way to learn the business, learn how to do it, and, and to become pretty proficient at it. So, Steve, what kind of mistakes did you make as a newbie? Oh, uh, <laughs> all right, well, uh, first surveillance that I did as, on the insurance case, I, I pretty much burned it up in, like, maybe two minutes. Um, I, I, I ended up parking maybe about two houses down, from where we were at. However, the, the, the big insurance company that I was working for at the time did not tell me that they had already had two other guys that got burned or heated up on this case. Mm, and mm-hmm. some of, the, some of the, the requirements for them was that you had to confirm that the claimant was home and still resided there within 30 minutes of arriving at the, uh, you know, at the location. 
So I went ahead and did a neighborhood canvas, which is, of course, just talking to some neighbors because in insurance cases, you're not supposed to have any direct, uh, any direct communication with, with the claimant. Right. So I went ahead and knocked on neighbors' doors, and one neighbor in particular was like, oh, yeah, he's, 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 uh, lives there. He's, he's not home right now because his car is not there, but, you know, he should be back. He drops his kid off at school. I said, okay, perfect. So I run back to my car, drive up to, you know, what I feel is a suitable distance, not knowing that this lady had watched me out of her window go back to my car. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when the claimant came back, he ended up, she ended up pointing my vehicle to him. Now, my windows <laughs> were, were really tinted, so nobody could see inside, but the guy came up to my car, started banging on it, and tried to even get a screwdriver to open up the door. Oh, my so, goodness. Yeah, so it, it, you know, that if I wasn't hooked to it then, I probably would have never came back. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I definitely, you know, it, it, it just made me think about what I had done wrong in that circumstance. Uh, you know, number one, I, I parked way too close. And number two, I did not ask the, the proper questions that I should have asked prior to taking the surveillance, which was, Number one, has this case been worked on before? Uh, yeah. Number two, if it has been worked on before, has the subject or claimant uh, exhibited any signs of knowing that they're being investigated? Because that's big. If we don't know that, especially on a surveillance case, then we put ourselves in a position where we're going to go out and think that we're okay doing things as status quo, and, and it's not going to be. Mm-hmm. And number three... Um, and this is the most important thing, make sure that you as the investigator aren't being followed out <laughs> to where mm-hmm. you're going so that way, you know, you, you, you don't uh, find yourself in a situation where somebody's trying to break into your car while you're in it. <laughs> you know what that reminds me of? I had a case once that uh, uh, for some reason, the, uh, it was a criminal case, and for some reason the FBI hired an independent contractor investigator to do some surveillance on this non-indicted uh, uh, co-conspirator, and uh, it was a neighborhood watch neighborhood, <laughs> <laughs> and the neighbors all got together and came out and beat his car with broomsticks, thinking he Ooh, was wow. a uh, <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> at least that didn't I can definitely relate. I didn't have the whole neighborhood going after me. When it's it's bad enough when one guy and one neighbor comes out. When you got the whole neighborhood, that's that's a whole nother. <laughs> exactly. So it, it, you, it's important to pay attention to those uh, neighborhood watch signs in the windows. <laughs> absolutely. It absolutely is. Uh, <laughs> without a doubt, because, I, I, you know, I've always said that when you're, when you're canvassing a neighborhood, the, the neighborhood watch person is the best person to talk to when you're trying to figure out, like if you're working a theft case and you're trying to figure out what strange cars were parked in the neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm, They're the best mm-hmm. people to talk to. But when you're the, actually the strange car in the neighborhood, <laughs> it's the worst person <laughs> position to be. So, so there's definitely plus and minuses in the neighbor, uh, neighborhood watch neighborhood. <laughs> now, had you, Steve, had you driven off after you talked to that lady and then got in your car and drove maybe around the block or a couple blocks and then came back and parked someplace else, you think the outcome would have been different or not? I, I think that the outcome would have been different if I had known, for instance, that uh, that case had been worked the way it had been. Yeah. Because yeah. Here's a, I, I could have, instead of actually physically going and knocking on somebody's door, this was a time when cell phones were prevalent. 
I could have went ahead and looked up a neighbor's telephone number and called the neighbor and made up mm-hmm. a, a, a good pretext to determine if the, the claimant was still living there and what the claimant's work hours or whatever were. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I could have knocked on the door, but then parked, like you said, several blocks away. So that way I could do what we call a burn run, make sure nobody's following me back mm-hmm. to my vehicle. Mm-hmm. There was definitely a lot of things that I could have done in order to, to make sure that that did not happen. Um, you know, I have another case when I was new as well, uh, I was out in a place called uh, Beaumont. And again, the situation was I, I had to get out and, and make a determination whether, uh, you know, the, the, the claimant was there or not. Well, this time I went back to my car and I called in the code five to the local police department, which a code five is just notifying them that you're there. Uh, so that way, if any of the neighborhood watch people call, the mm-hmm. police will let them know, like, the car's there and we know about it and it's not a big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, well, while I'm sitting there getting prepped for the surveillance, I'm, I'm suitable, I learned, so I'm a suitable distance away from my claimant's residence. I see an individual walking slowly crouched outside of my vehicle. Now, <laughs> I made a mistake on this one, too, because I opened up the car, my car, and immediately approached the person asking what he was going doing the person had a gun oh great and i he was like i i don't know what you're doing here man but you need to leave etc etc et i told him to call the local police department because he identified himself as coincidentally the neighborhood watch guy okay and um he he later on called the police department later on after you know a few hours he came back out and approached me and apologized i found out later that there was a child molester uh, that was rampant in that area that was climbing mm. in through people's windows. And oh, that was wow. the reason why he approached me the way he did. So, you know, I, I tell that story so that we know as investigators, it, it, we don't necessarily know what's going on in that, that area. And we always just got to be as careful and as cautious as we possibly can when, when we're dealing with folks out there. Yeah, that's for sure. Wow. That's, <laughs> those are pretty sketchy things. I don't, I don't, I've never heard of anybody ran into somebody with a gun before on a surveillance, so that's, that's pretty scary. We need to take a quick break, Steve. We'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. 
NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F R A N C I E at PIsDeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Private investigator Steve Morrow is here. We're talking about the kinds of mistakes we make, and mistakes make absolutely the best stories, don't they, Steve? <laughs> so, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so um, what else has happened to you that uh, you can talk about? Okay, well, um, <laughs> I once was, uh, and, and uh, it's coincidental that a lot of the mistakes I've made have are pertaining to surveillance cases. Um, I was out in the Oakland area, and I happened to be telling this gentleman uh, it was it, it was basically a, a domestic type case. And before I know it, the, the guy goes into a cul-de-sac. And again, when you when you're telling folks, you don't know where they're <laughs> going to go, and that's the, mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing is you you you, really, you don't know where they're going to go. Well, he hadn't been showing any of the signs that one normally would show in regards to knowing that they're they're, they're being watched. The next thing I know, uh, a car pulls up almost <laughs> behind me, and they're, they're almost trying to box me in. Um, so I, I, I take off <laughs> as fast as I can, and the two cars start following me. So wow. the only thing I can think of is I don't want them to know that I'm out there for, uh, you know, for the, the, the wife of, of you know, this particular subject. So I drive over to the police station, and park over there and make it seem like I'm, you know, undercover. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, of course, as soon as I got in that area, peeled off. And um, I, we later on went out with a different car uh, and, and were able to get what we needed. But, you know, it, it's, again, when you do this type of work, the, the, the exciting thing is you don't know where, where it's going to take you. But at the same time, you <laughs> don't know where it's going to take you, so be careful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the time. Yeah, I, I can just see you turning into a... And into a cul-de-sac and going, oops. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's smart to go to a police station. That's very smart. You know, it, it, it was, a part of it was because, hey, I, I needed the help. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. I got that. Uh, and, and another thing was, I didn't want, uh, I didn't know if the, the individual was violent or was going to be violent uh, towards their significant other if they had found out that they had hired somebody uh, to look into their lives. And, and, you know, we got to protect our clients as much as possible as well. Well, you know, what, what it says, so both the claimant that came after you um, and this guy that, that thought you, you were following him, uh, that kind of says they're guilty right there, doesn't it? It, it does. 
uh, guilty of something. Uh, you guilty know, this guy ended right. up uh, ended up being that this guy was actually out there uh, dealing drugs and not necessarily cheating on his wife. Oh, um, I see. But but yeah, I mean, it, it goes to say that the the individual is guilty of of something for sure. Or they so, wouldn't be paying attention to you. I mean. If you're just going about your life, unless you happen to see the same person five times in the same day, you're not going to think about uh, you're not going to think about it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, Steve, when you were traveling all over the country, was that uh, insurance claims as well? Yes, that was insurance claims, um, and uh, it, it was for a company that was based out in, in Texas. Uh, that you know they were. They, they build themselves as a nationwide investigative agency, and they had plenty of work, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, that brings up a question for me. Um, so were you, were you an employee for them or an independent contractor? So technically I was an employee for them. Um, okay. They didn't have, and, and here's the, the weird thing, like they would subcontract out to guys in California, and you would kind of work under their license. Uh-huh. To do the work out here, but your your paychecks had their company, you know, logo and everything on them. So huh. it was it was it was it was kind of interesting the way that they were doing it at that time. This company later on got in a little bit of trouble for for okay. how they were doing some of the things that they were doing, and they I think they since have changed their policies. Yeah, I was. Yeah, it sounds a little sketchy whether they were, you know, I mean, because you have to be licensed in the state. Um, were, were they licensed in California when you were doing it? Or do you know? They were, they were not. Um, yeah. They, they, they were having, a, I guess they had employees that were in license here in California. And so whenever mm-hmm. you worked, you would work under that employee's license. Um, I see. It, 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 was, it was a little sketchy. Yeah. It definitely was. But when you're new and you don't know the ins and outs of, of this business and you're just excited to be able to get into it and, and, and get going. Right. Yeah, uh, you wouldn't you know. Could, exactly. That's no. right. No, but, and, but they you know, did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you they you also leave sure. yourself uh, open to be taken advantage of. You know, mm-hmm. when you're when you're new to that's one of the things I want to stress to to some of these guys that are in, and ladies that are out there uh, actively pursuing trying to get in this business is that um, sometimes you will have to obviously take the work that nobody else wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But just just be be open-minded about the things that you're getting asked to do and, uh, you know, just be extremely cautious about what you accept because there's certain reasons why certain people aren't doing those types of, uh, of cases. There's, there's certain reasons why they're kicking it off to you. It could be because you're new, but it could also be because more seasoned investigators know, no, that that's not worth what they're getting paid to do. Right. The, the danger right. part of it. And and I just want to be clear, if anybody's listening, that is thinking about working or is working as um, for somebody in California as an investigator, you do either have to be licensed or an employee of somebody who's licensed. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, uh, so if there's anybody out there that's working as an independent contractor that is not licensed, that is actually unlawful. And it could yes, be ma'am. a big problem. And. You know, the other states have similar similar situations. Most states are now licensed. I think there's only maybe three or four that aren't compared to just a few years ago when there were a number of unlicensed states. But I think um, most states have now seen the light. I know Mississippi's working on theirs right now. 
Um, right, and Colorado like, just got theirs one a couple of years ago. Yeah, Colorado got okay. theirs, which they're excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, so licensing is really important, and if people um, don't have the um, hours, because you have to you have to have six thousand hours or three years full time to be a licensed investigator in California. So there, and there's ways to to do that. Um, if anybody's interested, they can send me an email, Francie at PISDclassified.com, or I'm sure, um, Steve, you want anybody to contact you if they have questions about it? Absolutely. Yeah, you can contact me. Um, it's morrow.detectives.agency at gmail.com, or, uh, you know, you can, you can contact me on my phone, 805-823-3540, and I certainly would love to help anybody that is, out there actively trying to, to get into this exciting uh, line of work. Um, I, I, and, again, you can contact the, the, the PI schools that I had uh, reference to earlier. Uh, they will help you in regards to the testing materials that you'll need, uh, be able to help facilitate you getting to places that can get you on-the-job training uh, with seasoned investigators. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it... it, it there's a lot of different avenues that you can take to get into this business and, and yeah, just make sure that whoever you're working with, uh, you are an employee and that they aren't as crazy as some of the folks that I have to work for at the beginning. <laughs> I don't know. Crazy may be good. Then you know what you're not going to do. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but if somebody tells you to jump into a backyard with a bunch of dogs, don't do it. Don't um, do it. Right. <laughs> Exactly. So, no matter so, how much money they're throwing at you. <laughs> Steve, you want to give your number again? I think this is very generous of you to do this, by the way. But if you want to give your number again so people can get it written down. Absolutely. It's 805-823-3540. Okay, great. And my company is Model Detective Agency. Okay, great. Thank you. And you, you have a website, don't you? Yes, ma'am. It's uh, www.morrowdetectiveagency.com. Dot com. Okay. All right. Thanks. So, so how did you find your niche? Okay. Well, um, I, st- I started working for a bunch of different folks um, in different companies, and eventually I started identifying the things that I was good at and the things that I didn't mind doing day after day, month after month. Um, mm-hmm. So that's basically what you have to start doing is, is making an honest assessment of your skill level. Uh, what you're good at, and, in, 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 uh, this is not to deter you away from the things that you're not good at. If you're not good at something, then pursue taking classes or pursue working under somebody that is good at that so that way they can tell you and teach you how to get better. Um, but so uh, assess what your, your, your skill level is. Pursue the, the things that you want to pursue. Read a lot. Um, you know, practice it a lot. Uh, my wife probably got crazy at the beginning because I was, <laughs> she was my, she was definitely who I, I, I practiced a whole lot of stuff on um, and with, and she was very supportive uh, doing that process. Um, but just identify it, pursue it, and, 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 and make sure that you educate yourself and keep yourself freshly educated in regards to the changes and the rules and everything that apply to the things that you want to do. Well, I loved it uh, when I read your article um, where you were 
for lack of a better way of putting, channeling Easy Rollins, where you ask yourself, what would Easy do? Yes, in this yeah. situation, what does Easy <laughs> do about it? Do you still do that? I, I, I have. Um, you know, it's Easy, in, in his cases, it almost always seems like he starts out looking for somebody, mm-hmm. um, which is something that I've actually gotten to be pretty good at, is, is locating folks. Uh, and Easy always had out-of-the-box ways of, of finding people. Some of them obviously were, were a little violent. Uh, some of them were, were, were extremely creative. Um, I forego, of course, the violence aspect of it, but, but the creative part of it, uh, I definitely like. I mean, in, in this field, you can be anybody that you really want to be. I mean, I, I've, I've been a pizza man. Uh, you know, I've been a dentist. I've been everything that I've needed to be in order to get the information in order to locate individuals. And that's my particular niche that, uh, that I found that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at. And easy Rollins definitely set the pace for that with opening up my imagination and seeing how I can make it a reality. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And, and I have to say, Steve, it's such a, a pleasure to have somebody that is a, a person of color in this business. Cause there's, there's so few uh, it's it's really great to to have you on board. Oh, thank you. I mean, that's uh, one of the things that I wanted to do was <clears throat> I wanted to to allow, or hopefully not allow, but I wanted to to be able to uh, to do this well, and hopefully by doing that, show other people, minorities especially, uh, ladies especially, that didn't think that, you know, or may have had some trepidations about doing this type of work because of the lack of, of uh, diversity that they've seen, mm-hmm. uh, to, to go ahead and pursue it. I mean, it, it, it has not, uh, my race has not definitely not been a hindrance uh, to me in this line of work. Actually, it's, it, it's helped me a lot in some areas, and in some mm-hmm. areas it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my, my parents, my grandparents, I had always inspired and motivated me to try to pursue whatever it was that I wanted to do, as long as it was mm-hmm. being a good person. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I definitely want to put that out there for anybody that's listening or anybody that is, you know, reading Easy Rollins or reading Nancy Drew like you did. Uh, if, if you feel something that is telling you to try and, and pursue this, go for it. And Absolutely. don't let something. anybody tell you that you can't. Yeah, and we use the assets we have, don't we? You know, I mean, exactly. There's places that I can get in that men can't get into, so uh, that's oh, yeah. the way it works. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I've, I've had cases where, uh, you know, I could sit there and ask this person the same question till you know we're both blue in our faces, and then I have a lady investigator go and ask the same question that you know, would have taken you know armed of, of you know a gang of armed thieves to to open up Fort Knox with. <laughs> She gets the information in like 12 seconds. Wow. <laughs> so yep, you've got to use true. the skill sets that you have. And, um, you know, definitely ladies uh, in some cases are, are, have a lot more better opportunities of getting information than guys do. And so if, if you're a lady out there that is interested in, in doing this, there's definitely a lot of room for you to do it and, and for you to be great at it. Absolutely. I agree on all counts. We need to take another break, Steve. That'll, that was the voice of Steve Morrow. Stay tuned. This is fun. Thanks. 
news, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Today's program features California private investigator Steve Morrow from the Simi Valley area who's discussing what he's learned as a PI for the past 13 years. So, Steve, um, how do you... When you were traveling all over the country, I'm, that must have been intense. You had a wife at home, and you weren't you weren't ever home. How do you avoid burnout? Okay, well, um, number one, the thing that I always try to do is have an outlet of some sort. Uh, so, I, it's some people they they like to exercise. Uh, some people, you know, they they join a bowling league, uh, social functions. Whatever you do that can help you kind of just depress from 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 you know dealing with the stress and, and of of knowing that you you have to get the job done, uh, mm-hmm. do it. Um, so for me so- right now, going to the gym is a big thing. I I coach my kids, um, you know, events or soccer or not soccer, excuse me, but football and and, and lacrosse. Mm-hmm. And I go to their, their events and stuff. That for me is it allows for me to kind of depress, you know, just get away from work for a minute. Even if the phone is going off, it allows for me to for those couple of hours to do something with them, uh, with my family. Uh, traveling and everything, I kind of stopped doing because at the time that I was traveling, I my wife and I had just had our first uh, kid and my, my son, and um, you know that was kind of tough and I, I had to make the determination on whether I wanted to you know be the the, the passport dad or if I wanted to, to mm-hmm. you know be more active in my son's life and I decided at that time that I was going to try to keep myself more localized 
Um, but, and it, it worked for me, but some folks, you know, you, if your family dynamic is different, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can, you can go out and, and travel and stuff and it'll, it'll be great for you. It's, it's all dependent on what is going on in your household, how supportive, of course, your spouse is and, and uh, what the needs your family, your particular family needs are. Yeah, and you know, uh, this work, because you're working, you're always working for somebody else. You're working mm-hmm. for a private client, you're working for an insurance company, you're working for an attorney, you're always under somebody else's pressure. And, yeah. and sometimes that, that really creates the burnout because they're, you know, they're at you, at you, at you, at you, at you to get something done because it always needs to be done yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, well, here's the thing. Like, if you take a lot of domestic cases, uh, you, you, your personal life can become in, in danger of you becoming extremely questionable about things going on in your personal life that didn't exist because of the fact that you're exposing so much of your mind. <laughs> to, oh, that's to, an interesting thought. Yeah, yeah, to what's going on out there. I mean, it, 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 the same thing can be for, you know, we have a high chance of becoming almost cynical at some point in time, uh, in my opinion, uh, after dealing with different challenges and different folks' problems. Different clients have different personalities, and they all have different challenges that are going on with their own, their own particular cases. And it's quite easy sometimes to be, get so caught up in working on those cases that you, because you're, you're, you're trying to resolve the problem, you, you almost bring the problem home with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I mean, it's important to be able to live comfortably, make a good living. And sometimes that uh, unfortunately has to take precedence over the family life. So how do you balance that? Well, I mean, <clears throat> you got to keep in mind, uh, with me personally and my family, we, we set up goals uh, for ourselves as individuals and, and what we want as a family. And it makes it much easier when your family is on board by you guys all striving to make those goals and understanding that this is what is needed in order to do so. Um, you know, I'm a father of three children. I, I have two young boys that I'm, I'm you know, trying to raise up as, as young men, and I just had a baby girl. Um, so knowing that I, I have these two young men that are, are looking at me, especially right now for, for guidance and leadership, I, I need to stress upon them how to set goals and, and how to make them so that way they see that the work that takes daddy away sometimes at nighttime or sometimes in the, in the, in the you know, early morning hours is because we're trying to all as a family reach certain goals. How old are your boys? My boys are nine and eight, and I just had a two-month-year-old little, uh, I didn't have it. My, my wife had a two-month-year-old <laughs> little girl. Uh, that, you know, she, so we're, we're, we're sleep-deprived and uh, sports <laughs> activities-driven right now. And in your case, your wife is also part of the business, right? She works with me from time to time, definitely. Yeah. I, I suspect that helps. You know, rather than having two completely diverse uh, directions in your work, um, it probably does help if both of you are involved in some degree in the private investigation business. It does help because at least now, um, you know, it's much harder to explain to somebody what you're going through unless they go through it with you. Yeah. So, you know, dealing with the different personality types that call in from some folks that are, 
legitimately like schizophrenic uh, to to some folks that are distraught because they you know their life is literally on the line if you aren't out there helping them find the witnesses that they need in order to to get themselves out of this predicament that will put them in jail. Uh, you know, having them having somebody that is on board and that hears the phone calls, uh, you know, helps do some of the, the work on it or helps or does, or takes the case, that lends a different viewpoint on it. And it, it is much more palatable for everybody involved to be able to, to uh, you know, to do this work and, and to have that understanding. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think we... We fail to remember a lot of times that um, people don't contact us unless they have a problem. You know, yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, they're going to have if they're going to call us, they're going to have a problem. So that ramps up the emotions typically, uh, unless unless it's an attorney client or an insurance client. But still, they have to get the job done, and they're under a lot of pressure from whoever they're dealing with as well. Exactly. And it just exactly. Gets, it just rolls downhill. <laughs> It, it, it does, and I mean, here's the thing: is like, and it's sometimes it's hard to re- to remember because they your client is calling you. They don't realize that you may have, you know, fifty other files on your desk with a multiple a multitude of, of of different challenges and, and and things. But for when that client calls you, their their problem definitely take their challenge takes precedence, and. I, I do a lot of legal investigative work, but I also, you know, do work for private folks that are calling in and, you know, their, their marriages, their, their kids are missing. You know, uh, they, they, they are looking to, to reunite with somebody that, you know, their fathers or their mothers, these things are all emotionally high for them. And you got to keep that in mind when, when you're dealing with them. And, and it is, it, it can be draining from time to time because me personally, I try not to emotionally get involved, but sometimes you can't help but get emotionally involved when, you know, you, you know that what you're doing can literally change the path of somebody's life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. It just reminds me of all kinds of things because, you know, you're the person you're talking to, they're only... Their only objective is their case. They don't care mm-hmm. about any of the hundred cases you have sitting on your desk. They don't <laughs> care about who your other clients are, or who is it, or what you're going through in your personal life. None of that matters, but their case to that person. Yes, ma'am. And I guess that's how you have to respond as well, even though you know. I mean, sometimes you know, investigators are going through personal stuff. They may have had a death in the family or going through a divorce or some kind of an illness, but you, you can't share that. No, and, it, and, it, and it's very hard <clears throat> sometimes to, to try to separate those two, right? Because exactly, yeah. we, we are a direct reflection of what is going on at home, even though we try to put our best face forward. Um, but we're, we're still real people. Uh, and I think sometimes, and maybe even in your experience, you've had clients that call you and, and, and they're hoping that you live up to the expectation of what they've seen on TV, you know, the Rockford <laughs> right. or, you know, or, or, or the Sherlock Holmes, that, but they don't realize that you're a real person with, sometimes they don't realize you're a real person that, you know, has a baby that, you know, is, is just born. So 
you, you're only getting four hours of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of exactly. Uh, if that, and if that. yeah, and you're still the dad that needs or the mom that needs to go and into these school functions and, and all of this. It's it's kind of hard uh, sometimes for folks to realize that. And you know, but you're a PI and, and your job is is to take a case that you know you can do well and and perform it to the best of your abilities. And uh, you know, sometimes we just have to. Suck it up and, 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 and get going with it. Well, what advice do you have, Steve, for, um, for other investigators or for people that are interested in going into business? What kinds of things would you say to them? Research everything that you want to do. Uh, and again, go back to knowing exactly what you're good at, what you can better yourself at, and what you would like to pursue. Um, if you're going into business for yourself after you've gotten your license and you've taken the test and everything's all clear and good there. Um, don't, a lot of us want to build ourselves as general investigators, especially at the beginning, because, you know, we, we got to keep the lights on. We got to keep clothes on our back and keep everybody fed. Uh, but you will find that doing a, a, you know, it's trying to advertise a market to everybody is not going to be as productive as trying to locate what you're good at in advertising to those folks specifically, because if you're good at it, those folks will continue to call you. They will send your name to everybody that they know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you will get more work and your reputation will be better because you're getting the cases that you're actually good at instead of accepting cases like for DNA forensics that you only read a little bit about that Mm -hmm. you know nothing about. And you know, it's, it's one bad review one bad thing said about you can set you 20 steps back. Uh, so if you're new, pursue only the things that you know you absolutely do well and then work on the things that you don't uh, on your own time so that way, you know, when you are ready to accept a case, you perform it well, just as well as everything else. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, yeah, it, it gives it gives me even a, a lot to think about even thinking back because uh, you don't necessarily focus on on these kind of things and and you know I I'm thinking that um, I I was a generalist for a long time and you kind of think when you're doing that that's the way to go because they, then you get all the businesses coming in but I found and maybe you did too Steve that once I specialized I had more business than when I was a general practitioner. Absolutely, I mean I I. I do a lot of family law cases and, and criminal defense work now, but before, you know, I would take everything that came in from debugging, uh, you know, to, to, uh, you know, uh, dealing with, with folks that, um, <laughs> you know, that cars were, were, were stolen. And mm-hmm. I, I, I had learned how to do some of those things, but I didn't practice them that much while I was learning how to do the things that I actually do very well. And, and so, it wasn't, therefore... Yeah, and it wasn't your passion. It wasn't your no, passion. No, it was not. And, and, yeah. and, 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 you know, I always want to do things to the best of my ability. And what I tell people now is, if you're not good at something, but you obviously you have a client that has a need, you yeah. can still be a winner in this case by helping another PI that is great at that get that, that client and do a great job. That's great. Because now that's, that client will say that you're great because you have the connections that help them get what they needed. And you, you know, and you helped another fellow PI out who needs to keep their lights on and pay for their kids as well. 
And that's a perfect way to close our show, Steve. We're at the end of the hour. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but let's send a, send a big shout-out to PI Magazine, Jimmy and Rosemary Messis, who also provide a forum where private investigators can learn and be inspired. And, Steve, thank you for being willing to share some of your missteps, too, that you've experienced. Uh, so, folks, uh, tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Steve Morrow from California. It's PIC Classified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. PIs Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 